Hey guys, this is Julia Jazar here. This past weekend, Pastor Ray shared an amazing word, and I really hope the word edifies you and touches your spirit. And remember, just keep coming back. So we're in this we're in this passage, we're in this series, we're in this topic of establishing the kingdom of God here on earth. And this is this, the vision for our season. And this is what we've been hammering every single day. And so um, uh, we just got off of a seven-day fasting period where we were fasting, we were coming together, we were praying. We had seven nights of consecutive prayer every single night. We had days when we were having prayer in the morning and in, in the evening. We were just praying, asking God to make manifest his kingdom. And God has been doing so much. He's been shifting us. He's been correcting us. He's been adjusting us. I know in my life I've been, I've been adjusted. I've been corrected. My vision is getting better. I'm starting to see things in a fresh way and I believe that the Holy Spirit is getting ready to pour out a spirit and a move amongst us that he's getting ready to to release his signs his wonders his healing his giftings around us I think as a church and especially as a Western church in the Western culture we miss out on so much of what the actual gospel is what the actual biblical truth of a church is. And, and really, the Bible teaches us the church. And, and the model of the church that the Bible gives to us is what's called the apostolic church. Can you guys say apostolic church? It's a, it's a fancy word. But, but, but the apostolic church is, is this church that was the foundational church. It's the, it's the initial church. It's the beginning church. It's the model church. And, and, and it was a church planted by the apostles. Or the churches planted by the apostles. And really, our model of how we're supposed to do this thing called Christianity is in community. It's in unity with one another. But our model that we have to understand what church, what Jesus actually left for us is the Acts church. It's the, it's the apostolic church, the church of Acts. It's the, it's the church model that Jesus taught us how to be a church, how to be a community, how to walk in this. And a lot of times, what, what, if you read through the book of Acts, it's insane. Because if you read through the book of Acts and then you compare the book of Acts to the, the western church that we have, you will see there is a massive disconnect. There is this chasm between what they lived and what we live. And some people will say, it is because that time is over. But if you show me that that time is over in scripture, I might believe you. But there is nowhere that says that that period and that style of church ever ended or was supposed to end. That style of church is meant to be active till today. And, and if you read the book of Acts, it's, it's astounding. It's, it, it's challenging. It's encouraging. It, it's, it's shocking. Why is it? Because you see things that we cannot explain. You see actions, attitudes that there is no logic. There is no foundational basis for us to understand what's happening. And what, what, what we've really been praying is, God, we want to establish your kingdom here on earth. But for us to see that and us to understand that, then we have to understand what is heaven like? We have to understand, God, how do you desire your church to be? We have to understand, Jesus, what was the model that you left? Like, was church supposed to be the way that church is? Was it supposed to be, you know, a franchise, McDonald's, you know, style, business style church? Is that what we are going for? And, 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 you know, a wise man once said, a, a professor 
once said this. He said this. He said, if you want to start something, you got to know where you're going to end. You got to know where you're going to end. If you want to start something, you got to know where you're going. If, if you, if it's, it's just like starting a business. If you have a business, but you don't have a dream, a vision, a goal for the business, you're just going to, nothing's going to happen. You're going to get caught up by the daily tasks versus having a vision for what you want to develop in the future. And so if you want to start, we got to talk about the end. And as a church, if we want to build a strong church and, and we want to establish the kingdom in our church, we got to know where are we going. we got to know what is the goal. Are, are we striving to build a business church? Now, I love structure. I love organization. I, I love it. And God, I pray every day, God, bring me people who can structure, who can organize. I believe that the organization precedes the power and manifestation of God. That you care for the tabernacle. And as you're caring for the tabernacle, the, the fire and the cloud come. When the, when, the, when the offering is placed, organized on the altar, then the fire comes. I believe that organization is key. But I want to ask you, is organization, is structure, is this the means to the end or is it what we've made the end? Is it what we've made the end goal? To become a Fortune 500 company and, and call it a church. Is that our goal? Or are we pressing towards building a church like the book of Acts? Are we building a church that is heaven on earth? Because Jesus, you're going to see, Jesus preaches so much that heaven is meant to be made manifest on earth. Maybe one of the topics that you could say Jesus most talked about in the gospel is the kingdom. And he said this, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's not like the kingdom of God is coming. He's saying the kingdom of God is within hand's reach. It's, it's within hand's reach. It's, with, it's, a, it's within our reach to bring heaven on earth to see things happen. And, and, and there's a disconnect. I talked about this last week, how I was having this conversation with somebody. And we were talking about how church planning is going up, but church attendance is going down. We were talking about how this, this generation, Gen Z, and, and what comes after Gen Z, Gen Alpha, is, is actually set up to be the first post-Christian generation in the history of the United States. It is set up to be the first, my child, Eleanor, is set up to be part of the first post-Christian generation in the history of the United States of America. And, and we talked about how, how is this happening? If church plants are occurring, if more Christians, we have the biggest churches in the world today in the United States. We have the nicest buildings, the nicest lights, the most structure. We have churches that would make Fortune 500 companies take a seat to listen. We have pastors who are better leaders than the best CEOs. How is it that this is occurring? Are you guys with me? How is it that this is possible? And this was the topic of conversation, that, that something is off and something needs to shift in order for us to begin to experience this. And it's not a shift that needs to happen, you know, oh, so and so and so and so. It's a shift that needs to happen inside of me and inside of you. 
It's a shift that needs to occur inside of us for us to shift this. And, and the number one reason why Gen Z, why kids between the age of 14 to 25, let's say, are leaving the church, number one reason is because they see a disconnect between what is preached and what is lived. Number one reason. And, and, and I, I get it. A lot of times it has to do with our attitude, with our character. It has to do. But let me tell you, we are no more broken than we were in the days of the church of Acts. Our character is no more messed up than, than the churches that Paul wrote to. I would say that what Paul deals with in Scripture is pretty intense. I've never dealt with it. Paul, he corrects the Corinthians church and he says, stop getting drunk during service. I've never have had have most of us get drunk during service. He says this, stop sleeping with your stepmother to people in the church. I've never had to deal with a situation like that. These are heavy things. I would say that it's not the character of the people in the church that has changed. I would say that it's the reason why there's the disconnect. And people think that the disconnect is between what is preached and what is lived. Is that we are not experiencing the power of God in our services, in our churches anymore. We are not experiencing what God has for us anymore. We are not experiencing the reality of the gospel anymore. We are not experiencing the reality of the kingdom anymore. We're not seeing healings and transformations. We need to see this. We had seven nights for the kingdom. It was incredible because there was a moment when we prayed for the sick and people were healed. And that is a testimony that God is still living and active. And when somebody sees that, they say, the God that we talk about that heals people is still alive. And they say, you know what? Maybe there is a connection between what is preached and what is lived. Are you guys with me this morning? You know, um, if the pandemic has taught us anything... It's that people's last words are so important. Life is so valuable. And, and, and what if it's taught us anything is that life, the breath of life is a valuable thing that we need to value. And, and many times uh, I've heard all of these stories as a pastor, hearing stories, talking to people about people's last words. And usually the last words that they share are the most important words. And this has, has just been stirring in my heart. Because what are Jesus' last words before he ascends and goes to heaven? He says this, make disciples of the nations. Go, therefore, preach and teach and make disciples of the nations. And this burden has just begun to take over my heart. And I pray that it will begin to take over your heart, that you are called for much more than for making money, making kids, making a life, making a retirement, that you are called to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. It's, it's said that maybe out of ten Christians, only one will actually be a pastor or pick up a mic in his hands. But the other nine, I believe, are called to bring the kingdom in different spheres, in different areas. You're called to bring the kingdom in your job. You're called to bring the kingdom in your business. You're called to bring the kingdom in your school. You're called to bring the kingdom whatever you do. But you are called to bring the kingdom of God to earth. But, but the last words of Jesus were clear. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples not unto ourselves. Make disciples of Jesus. 
he says, go and make disciples of the nations. The word nations here is not the word nations that we know. The word nations, when Jesus says it, it's actually the word ethnic. In other words, he says, go and make disciples and, and, and go to the ethnicities. Go to not, not the countries. He's not saying go to this country or this country or this country. Win over this country and this country. What he's talking about is people groups. What he's talking about is cultures. Go to the cultures. Go to the people groups. Win those people to Jesus. Disciple those people to Jesus. And the question is, how do we disciple people groups? How do we disciple cultures? How do we disciple different ethnicities? How do we do this? I want to tell you right now, the way you disciple a nation is through the gospel of the kingdom. It's through the kingdom. Jesus, he's consistent in, in this rhetoric and in this conversation and in this point. He says, go preach and teach the gospel. Go and preach and teach the kingdom of God. Look, I love, I, I think it's great when we see, you know, movements for, for justice, movements for social justice. I think these things are so important and, and wonderful. But my issue is that as, as Christians, we talk more about social justice than we talk about the king of justice. We talk more about how we can fix the problems with our hands instead of trusting in the Lord to fix the problem with his outstretched hands. It's the difference between trying to catch and resolve a problem by the fruit instead of dealing with the root. You see, the, the, the fruit is racism, and we must re remove racism. But, but you do not treat racism by treating the fruit. You treat racism by treating the root, and the root of racism is sin. If you would transform a person from stopping to, to understand that he is born again and he is no longer a sinner, you would transform the fruit of it. How can a person know Jesus truly, see in his eyes, and practice racism? It does not connect with one another. And so if we want transformation, we must go to the source of true transformation. Are you guys with me, church? Jesus is, is calling us to, to, to step out. I remember growing up, I, I used to watch sermons growing up, and, and, and I didn't really pay attention that much, but, but some of the things that, that caught my attention that I remember, I remember seeing pastors saying, uh, Lord is lifting up a, a generation of John the Baptists. I remember that. That thing stuck with me, and, and it never left me, that the Lord wants to lift up generations of John the Baptist. And I never really understood what they were talking about. But, but John the Baptist, he had a calling on his life, and the calling of his life was to make straight the way of the Lord, was to prepare the way for the king, was to prepare the way for the kingdom. Are you guys with me? And what did he preach? He preached, he preached this. He preached repentance. And he preached the baptism of repentance. But we sometimes don't realize what repentance is. The word repentance comes from the word metanoia. And metanoia means to change. Metanoia means to transform. Metanoia means to leave behind and pursue a different direction. It means I am going in this direction and I choose to change directions. What, what John the Baptist was teaching us was he was saying, it's time to change your mind and your direction towards the kingdom of God. 
It's time to see. He was saying, he was calling people to repent. In other words, he was calling people, change your mind. Change your perspective. Realize the kingdom of God is coming. That's why when John sees Jesus approaching, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why? Because he did not see a carpenter from Nazareth. He saw the man who came to take away sin. Why? Because his mind was transformed. If you want to see the kingdom, I want to tell you, it's time to break the paradigms in your mind and shift things because you need to start seeing the kingdom of God. You need to break the paradigms of America. You need to break the paradigms of, 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 of whatever nationality that you come from. You need to break the paradigms of the American dream. You need to break the paradigms of culture and society. You need to break the paradigms of social media, of TikTok. You need to break these paradigms and you need to say, I exchange my paradigms for the kingdom of God. I will transform my mind. I, I will transform it. And when my mind is transformed, I will shape the nation around me. But first, the transformation must happen inside of me. I don't know if you guys know this, but he's saying, look, it's time to shift our perspective. How many of you guys have ever been in a room where the presence of God was so strong, so tangible? And you look over to the side and somebody's crying. You look over to the side, somebody's on their knees, on their face before the Lord. The presence of God is hitting. And then you look to your other side and somebody's on their phone texting, scrolling through Instagram, responding WhatsApp. And you're thinking like, what in the world is going on? How could that be? And you have one person who's experiencing the power of God and one person who's completely oblivious to the holy moment that they're in. How many of you guys have ever experienced that? And I want to tell you, Jesus is coming into a scene where certain people recognize him and other people are totally oblivious to him. And Jesus is calling us, he's calling us to shift our perspective and focus on the kingdom of God. This is the emphasis of Jesus. Disciple nations, but how do you disciple nations? Through the gospel of the kingdom. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 7. I'm, I'm sorry, I said verse 7. I meant verse 17. Matthew 4, 17. Look what it says here. Matthew 4, 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and he began to say, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's go to uh, verse 23. Same chapter. Look what it says. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affection and every affliction among the people. Look what it says there. He, he, he healed. He preached the gospel of the kingdom and he healed all types of diseases. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says this, it says, and Jesus went about the cities and the villages, and he taught in the synagogues, and he preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. And a lot of times, as, as a, a church society, and as, as the church here in the West, we a lot of times make everything about salvation. 
Church is about salvation. And I believe that Jesus is all about salvation and people coming to Jesus. But Jesus didn't teach salvation. Jesus taught the gospel and people were saved through the message of the gospel. Jesus taught the kingdom, and through the message of the kingdom, people were saved. Let me tell you, when we value the kingdom here, people are going to come into this place, encounter the presence of God, be healed, be touched, be delivered, and you know what their reaction will be? I want this Lord and Savior in my heart. I've seen those people on the street corner, and, and, I, and I believe that they have a, a value, and I believe that they have kind hearts, and they have correct hearts, that they're not all wrong. We shouldn't judge them, but I've seen the people with the microphone screaming out the message of the gospel without the power of the gospel, and nobody listens. I remember watching a documentary, and, and one of the people came up to that man who was there. He had been there for 15 years on top of his soapbox screaming at people to repent or they're going to hell. And they asked him, how many people have come to Jesus through you and through what you're doing here in the last 10 years? He said, zero. He said, one person almost. Why? Because there is a message without the power. Jesus was all about preaching the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom and demonstrating in power. And when there was power behind his message, people would come and say, you are the Messiah. You are the one. You are the person. And they would be saved. There must be power behind our preaching. And this is not a message for me. It is for me first. But it is also a message for you. Has there been faith and power and testimony behind your Christianity? Because we're not called to be a bunch of bench warmer Christians sitting on the bench. We're called to, to have this, this, this gospel. You know, the emphasis of Jesus' sermons was not salvation. You know, the emphasis of Jesus' message, he always preached in love, but he didn't talk about love too much. Jesus doesn't talk about love too much in the Gospels. Read all four Gospels. You're not going to see Jesus doesn't talk on the topic of love so much. You know, the Bible says that grace and truth came. You know, Jesus is grace. He was grace embodied. But you don't see Jesus talking about grace that much. Although he is grace, he, he's, he's grace and the, the grace of the Lord embodied in person. You don't see him actually having that type of, of conversation, of sermons that much in, in scripture. Do you know what you see Jesus continually talking about throughout all of the four gospels? The kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is love. It is grace. It is righteousness. It includes all things. The kingdom of God, as I've been saying, is when heaven is manifested here on earth. It is the fullness and last week I talked about if we want heaven on earth, then we must prioritize what heaven prioritizes. And the number one thing that heaven prioritizes is the presence of Jesus. That's why we're not going to be a church that the number one focus is to attract new Christians and make people feel comfortable. We are going to be a church that our number one priority is to build a throne for Jesus. And that will attract people to come to this place. Are you guys with me? Whew. Jesus is good, right? I, wanna, I want you to read Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. We read this, but I want you to 
the, this, this passage so important. He says this, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8, Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you shall give. That's so, that's so insane. This is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is to preach the kingdom of God. It's to heal the sick. It's to cleanse the lepers. It's to raise the dead. It's to cast out demons. Let's, let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 9. I don't know if you're, if you're challenged by this, but I'm challenged by this just reading this. Luke chapter 10, verse 9. The Bible says this, it says, Heal the sick there, and say to the sick there, The kingdom of God has come to you. Heal the sick there. Hear the sick there, and you will understand that the kingdom of God has come to you. I want to tell you something. The kingdom of God is, is this. It's four things. It's summarized in four things. Preach the gospel if you're taking notes. Teach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Preach the gospel. Teach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. A lot of people don't understand the difference between, what is, what's the difference between preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom? What's the difference? Here's the difference. When you teach something, you explain that something. When you preach something, you talk about that thing. So to, to, to teach means you explain, you break it down. You know when Jesus would say the kingdom of God is like a little bit of leaven in the bread. Or when he would say the kingdom of God is this way and this way and he would explain it. But then there was moments when Jesus would show up and he would say this. He would say the kingdom of God is at hand. Go therefore in the authority that I have given to you and cast out demons and heal the sick. Are you guys with me? And Jesus is... He, he, he's calling us. This is his call. His call is to understand that the kingdom of God is meant to be here. That the kingdom of God is meant to be present. That the kingdom of God is meant to be what is transforming us. And this is the kingdom of God, the manifestation of heaven on earth. Are you guys with me? Can you guys go to Mark chapter 1? I know I'm reading a lot of the Bible. Imagine that in church. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says this. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is at hand. Change your view and believe in the full gospel message. The question is this. What are we doing and are we looking at the kingdom of God? There is no way to separate the kingdom of God from God. It is his kingdom. It is his kingdom. There is no way to separate his kingdom from him. He is the one who reigns over it. 
And he says this, that yes, we are entering into the kingdom one day. We are entering into Zion one day, the full manifestation of his kingdom. And, and I, I talked about this last week, how heaven is not a bunch of clouds. In heaven, we're not going to have these little wings and float around playing harps. That's not the heaven that the Bible presents to us. The heaven that the Bible presents to us is a city. It's a city. There are streets. There are rooms, which means there are buildings. There, there, is, there is people in this city. People are talking. People are doing things in this city. And it's not this ethereal, just random, floaty thing. It's real and it's tangible. And it says that in heaven there is no sickness. There is no disease. There is no anxiety. There is no depression. There is no suffering. There are no tears in heaven. And yet we are called to bring that sphere here on earth while we are alive. Change your mind, repent, because the kingdom of God is within your reach. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is taken by violence. I never understood this passage. I wrestled with this passage maybe my whole Christian walk. Jesus, what are you talking about when you say the kingdom of God is taken by violence? What he's saying is, Unless you stretch out your hand and you grab heaven and you bring heaven down to earth, you will not see the manifestation of heaven here on earth. You see, Jesus wants to partner with us to make heaven here on earth, but he will not partner with us if we are not willing. The reality is that Christians have not asked and seeked the kingdom of God because they are comfortable being in their seats, being fed a coaching message, being encouraged, living their life, going to their 9 to 5, making their monies, having their kids, having their houses, and this is fine, and this is enough for them. And what happens in this is that you will never see the kingdom of God fully manifested in your life. You might see glimpses of the kingdom of God. You might see when somebody in your family gets sick and everybody prays and they get up off that place and they, and they get better. And, and you might see a glimpse of the kingdom of God, bang, right there, because it's needed and it's necessary and they want it. And so they see a glimpse. Are you guys with me? You might see a glimpse of the kingdom of God in, in, in situations. Oh, my God, my child just graduated. Oh, my God, my child is growing. Oh, my God, my marriage. My, my, my. You might see glimpses of heaven, but you will not experience the fullness of heaven. I don't know about you, but I did not sign up for Christianity to not experience the fullness of it. Jesus, when he called me, he said, look, I have this life for you. And then he showed me what the life is in his word. And in his word, I said, wow, this is what I want for myself. I remember when I was in seminary, we had this phase where, I don't remember what it was. I think it was a class that we, we took in seminary. And in this class in seminary, uh, somebody said, you know, you have to visualize things before you can actually start to have faith for these things. And I remember it was like a trend. Everybody would have pictures of what they wanted. And we would put it in our Bibles. Uh, some, some would put it in their cars. Some would put it on, on their phones. And, 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 we would, and we would just, like, have these things. I was looking through my notes, and I wrote down all the things that, that I would have. And, and, and the stuff that I prayed for was not natural things. Because God didn't call me for just the natural things. There were natural things in there. I said, God, I want to get married. God, I want to have a wife. God, I want to have kids. 
God, I want to plant a church. But then there were so many things there that made absolutely no sense. God, I want to see the church full of the Holy Spirit. God, I want to see signs and wonders. God, I want to see people being baptized. God, I want to see people's lives being transformed. God, I want to see healing. God, I want to see restoration. God, I need you to restore this in my life. God, I need you to fix this situation in my life. And so many things were supernatural. Why? Because God said that we serve a supernatural God and he set the precedence. I want to tell you something today. If you believe God for something that is not natural, do not think it is strange or weird. Understand that God is the one who put that thing inside of you. I'm not the one who said you can believe for people to be healed. He's the one you said you can believe for people to be healed. I'm not the one who said that you can believe and people who are addicted can be broken. I'm not the one who said he heals cancer. I'm not the one who said you can pray for people's lives to be transformed, marriages to be fixed. I'm not the one who said that gold comes from the fish's mouth. I'm not the one who transformed the world. I'm not the one who said greater things than this you will do. He is the one. And I, I'm overtaken in these days by, by this reality by this truth, that I am tired of the Christian game. I'm tired of the, the Christian languages and the Christian things. I am tired of these things because these things are, 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 are bad, man. Like they are empty. They're not bad, I would say. Maybe that's the wrong word. They're empty if they are not full of the presence and the power of God. A lot of things we do, there's reasons for it. G.K. Chesterton, he said this. He said, a foolish man is the one who takes down a fence without knowing why the fence is there. You know, this generation comes up and we want to tear down all fences, all orthodoxy, anything. Oh, that's religion. Bah. Oh, that's this. Bah. And we, want to, and we, we just want to break everything because we, for the sake of, 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 of rebellion, for the sake of, of I want to be the, the cool person who changes everything. But reality is a lot of fences that are up are there for a reason. And sometimes you kick down those fences and you find out, oh, now I know why that fence is there. And, and, and the reality is this, that, that there are a lot of fences that, that we look at and, and we think like, okay, I want to tear down religion. I want to tear down these things. And this is a good intention in our hearts that you want true relationship. That's why all these people are disconstructing. It's a, it might be a pure thing like, oh, I want to I wanna just tear down. I want to get to Jesus. But the reason is you're tearing down fences that are meant to be up. And at the end of it, you're going to be like, oh, that's why the fence was up. Let me put this back up again. And the reality is this, that we are called, we are called to understand things like the fences are good, but understand why the fence is there. Like the, the, the service is good, the air conditioning is good, the chair is good, the liturgy is good, the, the, the opening, you know, worship, tithes and offering, announcements, sermon, song at the end. That, that organization is good. The liturgy is good. It gives us organization. It gives us a, a good place to go. It gives us a structure. But we must understand that if God wants to show up, he's the reason we are here. And if he has to mess up our liturgy and our structure, if, if we say, God, you have one hour and a half to do what you have to do, and God says, I don't want an hour and a half. I want two. I want three. I want more. We have to understand, why are we here in the first place? Are you here? Because 
You're going to hear good announcements. You're going to hear a good message. You're going to sing three songs and you're out. Or are you here because you want to encounter the power of the living God? And when the power of the living God shows up, are you quick to leave because it's messed up your plans? Are you quick to, to get out because it's, 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 it's broken what you're used to, your liturgy? Remember why we are here. The fence serves a purpose. But, but if we don't understand why the fence was there in the first place, it's defeated the purpose. So what do we do when we, when, we, when we chase after this? Excuse me. What do we do when we seek after this? What do we do when we press into this? What do we do when we seek the kingdom of God? I want to tell you something here that's so important. John the Baptist preached it. You have to change your mindset. Change your mind. And this is what we're going for. We are not going for the Western contextualization of the church because I think that although we've grown and we've gotten so much, I think we've missed out on the church of Acts. We're not going to go, you know, into what a lot of churches do and they jump into the extreme and they say, all right, it's a, it's a fiesta. Everybody come up. You want the microphone? Come and give a prop. You want the microphone? You want the microphone? And we're here for 10 hours, people prophesy, and it is a Pentecostal insanity. It's not what we're going for either. What we're going for is this one thing. Jesus, we are here. Seek your kingdom. Jesus, we are here to experience all that you have for us. Jesus, we are not better than, than anyone or any person. Jesus, we are not the best church. Jesus, we are not any of these things. Jesus, we are simply a community that is gathered to seek your face. Jesus, you've given us dreams. Jesus, we have dreams. We have, we have two-year plan. We have a five-year plan. Jesus, you've given us strategies. It's right there. Jesus, we know the steps we have to take people to know you, to be transformed, to discover their calling, and to make a difference. Jesus, we, we have that, Jesus. Jesus, we, we're taking care of the tabernacle, Jesus. We are, we're, we're, we're setting up the showbread. We're lighting the, the, the candlesticks, Jesus. We are setting the incense, Lord. We are here. We're putting the lamb on the altar, Jesus. We're, we're reminding ourselves. We're taking communion. We're eating of the bread. We're drinking of the wine. But Jesus, all of these things that we're doing, the, the production, the lights, the sound, that, that we're going to get better. The, the, the organization of the service, that's going to get better. The, 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 the visuals of the service, it's going to get better. Jesus, the worship is going to get better. Jesus, the sound is going to get better. Jesus, all of these things, Jesus, they're going to get better, Jesus, because we're taking care of, of the tabernacle. We're taking care of, of the house, God. We are ministering unto the house, Lord. But, Jesus, none of this is unto itself, Jesus. It's all unto one thing, Jesus. And it is unto us setting a table for our king. It's unto us saying, Jesus, here is the table. Jesus, we prepare ourselves for the kingdom. Jesus, we prepare ourselves, Jesus, to sit at your table. Jesus, we prepare this table, Lord, and we say, Lord, have your way. Lord, do what you do. Jesus, do what you do.
In these days, can, can, I be, can I be honest with you? I said, in these days, the last, I would say, six to 12 months, I've been consuming an insane amount of material on church planning. I've gone to conferences. I've read books and books and books and books and books. I've watched videos. I've signed up for seminaries. Like full-on seminaries. I teach seminary. I've signed up for seminaries. I signed up for, for college classes to, to learn, to go deeper in these things. Like literally, I'm just, I, I've, I've said, God, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to give myself wholeheartedly to this thing. And, I, and I'm in a unique phase because I'm 29. I'm not even 30 yet. Like, I'm 29 years old leading a church and, and trying to figure all these things out and, and watching a lot of people along the race quit and stop and, and pursue other things. And, 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 I, and I've, just, I've just said, God, what's going on? How are we going to do this, God? Like, what church are we building, Jesus? Like, how are we going to do this thing? I've consumed so much and, and I've seen so much and I've learned so much and so many things have caught my attention and I've said, yes, well, let's do this or let's do this. And we've tried so much as a church. Like I, I've been experimenting without you guys even noticing like things. But at all of these things, at the end of the day, the Lord has just been drawing back to one single thing. the point what's the point of being a pastor what's the point of of coming to church what's the point of coming to a service what's the point of us singing what's the point and the Lord has just been hammering this for months I created you for relationships you're called my bride for a reason, because I love you. The church exists for one purpose, because I desire to connect with them. Like, there's so many details and moving pieces. There's, there's leaders and humans involved and man involved and women involved. And, and when there's man, there's going to be flaws and brokenness and all these things. But at the end of the day, as a church, we are called to one thing and one thing alone. We are called to press into the presence of God and relate with him. We're called to know him. He wants, he wants you. He wants to bring heaven on earth. Eden was heaven on earth. He wants heaven on earth, and he wants you and him to relate and connect, relationship, intimacy. He wants that. That's the purpose. Everything else is unto this purpose of, of connection, of relationship. Everything else is unto this person, unto this one thing that he loves you, and he wants you, and he wants you to experience him. He, he doesn't want you to be a leader. He wants you to love him. He doesn't want you to, to be a pastor. He wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to do things for him. He wants to connect with you. 
Now, as, as, as you love him, you're going to learn a little bit about what you were designed for. As you meet him and encounter him, you're going to find out that there are things that he wants you to do that are unto you going deeper in him. And that might mean you be a leader. It might not. It might mean you be a pastor. It might not. But his end goal is for heaven to get inside of you, for heaven to be shared around you, for you to relate and connect with him, for you to have a relationship with him. It's unto this. And if we are not focusing on this one thing, we are missing the point. I don't know who you are. I don't know your story. But I want to tell you this. If you're here this morning, Lord wants to relate with you. He's designed you for much more than just doing things. He's designed you for much more than just, just the, the, the things that, that you're in. Like, I want to tell you, at the end, I, I have this fear because I, I see people around me and I see people on, on Instagram and social media and, and they're chasing after these dreams. But I have this deep fear that one day they're going to get all of the money and one day they're going to get all of, the, all of the power they want. And one day they're going to have the business and one day they're going to have the house and the car. And one day their kids are going to grow up and, and they're going to leave the house. And, and one day all these things and at the end of their life they're going to look back and say, what did I do with my life they're going to look back and say Jesus I missed spending time with you I missed my calling with you Jesus I let my frustrations pull me away from Jesus your kingdom I let my hurts and I let my pain pull me away from, from, from your kingdom I let what people said and what people did pull me away from your kingdom and I'm looking around and I'm thinking God, spare me from that. Jesus, spare us from that. Jesus, let us remember why we are and who we are and what we're doing, Jesus. Transform our minds, Jesus.